Hello and welcome to Guy Perryman Interviews. Our travel companion today is Matthew Matty Healy from the 1975 headlining artist at Summer Sonic Music Festival in Tokyo in August 2022. The conversation took place at the Park Hyatt Tokyo Hotel and was first broadcast across Japan on my InterFM radio show. Enjoy the journey. It is wonderful to welcome back to Japan and back to the show, Matty from the 1975. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you very much. We actually met at SummerSonic 2019, and here you are for SummerSonic 2022. We're doing this interview a couple of days before your headlining act. So I can't ask you about this year's show, but I can ask you, because last time I interviewed you was also before the show, how was SummerSonic 2019? It was good, I think. I mean, I was in a very different place than I am now. Um, I was, I, I think that by that point, everything had started to kind of blur into one for me. Do you know what I mean? And we'd, we'd made two records and I was making kind of lots of creative decisions like on the fly. So I was quite confused a lot of the time. So I wasn't like taking a lot of stuff in. So I remember being here, but it doesn't feel as kind of like present as it does now. I think this is our first show since we stopped touring because of COVID. So this is the first show back in two years. First time that we've played together in two years. Um, so it's maybe that has also kind of engendered a a different spirit mm. when we've been here because it's it's a it's a big undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, how are you feeling two days before your show? Um, I don't want to lie; like I'm pretty nervous about it. I've never really been ner- that nervous for a show. Um, I'm not like scared, but I think that I've definitely taken for granted what being on tour feels like. Mm. You know, because you really are like, you're kind of, you can, if you want to, you can kind of sleepwalk, you know, and you can just do what you did last night mm. with your eyes closed with muscle memory. I don't have any of that muscle memory. This is a new set. <laughs> right. It's a new, it's a new thing. Like I've not done this before. So, um, that's going to feel, but that's always, you know, that's what, um, you know, you got to seek discomfort sometimes, you know, in order to get great stuff. So. I do wonder if those nerves could make for a fantastic show. Oh, they, they should do. You know, yeah. if you don't have nerves, then you don't have excitement, you yeah. know. So, like, there has to be an element of, of nerves. But I think that, yeah, it'll be jittery and anxious. And, you know, I'm quite an in- intense person at the best of times. So I'm sure it'll have a level of intensity to it. <laughs> but you do love performing live. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's, I, I love it. I've never... Be even been able to take it for granted. I've only ever been overwhelmed by the experience. I've never really been underwhelmed by it. Mm. So I don't coast through live shows. It's always very like a lot for me. So this is going to be intense. Yeah. Do you love festivals? I do. I love festivals. I grew up going to festivals and um, I also now I'm starting to understand like the kind of we're at a stage now where we can do two different things where we can expect different things of different audiences. So like at our live show now, at our headline show, I think that it'll be, it'll be, there'll be a massive point of difference between that and our festival shows more so than there was previously mm-hmm. because festivals almost like greatest hits. 
<laughs> and and you know and then our headline show is going to be slightly more conceptual and going to change quite a lot and I think well that's where we'll have the freedom to do that more but like when we're doing festivals like when you're headlining a festival there's kind of a responsibility to the evening itself to make it as kind of like up and exciting and fun do you know what I mean I don't want to navel gaze do anything navel gazy at a festival do you have a favorite festival moment either as a fan or as an artist well, there's moments that I, that like have mythology that I wasn't there for, like territorial pissings at Reading, like '94 was it? I think '92. Um, um, so like, and um, also Rage Against the Machine, same year, playing during the daytime at Reading. A lot of my stuff are Reading and Leeds based. So, well, the most important moment for us was me watching. I'd seen Nine Inch Nails before, but I saw Nine Inch Nails. In 2008 at Leeds Festival, and they were all silhouetted by this like video screen. And I thought, I'm going to do that, but with pop music. And that still kind of translates today. Mm. That's kind of still what we're doing, mm. you know, almost. So we'll see that this week. Oh, yeah, you'll definitely see, see some of that influence this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inter FM, the radio station I'm with, our catchphrase is find your colours. Mm. It's about people living the life they should. It's about diversity. It's about gender. It's about all the things that should be good in the world. You've always been quite fluid with your gender identity. If you've had tough times in the world and for any of our listeners who are listening mm. and you're living the rock and roll lifestyle, mm. which I'm sure is a dream life and, and, and a, a hell life together, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but for anyone listening, if they, are having a difficult time with gender or with race. Any advice, anything you'd like to say to someone? Well, I I mean, the, the problem with me is that I grew up just in art, really. So, like, those boundaries were very, very blurred when I was younger anyway. So now, as things are becoming more categorical, you know, my identity as straight white man is more evident to me now than it kind of ever has been. But that's because of like how politicized everything has become. I mean, for me, like, I have the privilege of not being able to think about race that much, but you know what I mean? Because I'm, because I'm white and stuff like that. And also I, f I fit into the mainstream categories of gender identity, sexual orientation, and racial identity. But I don't... I have the same kind of, like, politics about everything that, you know, people ask me, would you play in Israel? Would you play in Palestine? Would you play in these places? Would you play in that places? And my answer is yes. My answer is that I think that art, and culture are the things that unify people the most. You know what I mean? And I think that the solidarity that can be created in those spaces is where like we can really, really transcend those kind of boundaries. Do you know what I mean? So I just try and focus on art. I, 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 and, and, you know, and obviously art reflects life. So there's politics in there. There's philosophy in there. But I, I just think that that my job is to kind of create things that everybody can love. You know what I mean? So I, I don't have any particular advice on any topics. I just, um, I'm kind of here as an artist to like ask the questions. Mm. You know? 
that leads me to the next point. And I always speak with people about the power of music. Mm. You do what I wish I could do. You make music and you make our lives happy. You create the soundtrack to our lives. What about for you then? You've talked about art. In difficult times for you, have you always turned to music and to art? Yeah, I mean, I think in regards to how to lead my life, I've always turned to music and to art. You know, there's no, there's no, pol there's no speech from a politician or that has inspired me as much as a song has, or has has shown me how to live as much as like you know, or inspired me to live a certain way in the way that like a Bob Dylan record did when I first ever. It's the transformative power of music. Mm. Is what it is. It's that like you can be someone, listen to Joni Mitchell once, and then be someone else. Like that's how transformative it is. It's like, and sometimes like music that makes you feel so personally addressed, it changes who you are immediately. Mm. And like that's happened to me so many times. I'm always trying to figure out who I am, but the thing that changes me the most is like when I hear a new piece of music or I experience a new or I experienced a new culture through music I think that music does that for me more than any kind of um, anything else you say a lot through your music do you say everything through your music or is there more you want to say in interviews for example um no I, I I've really tried to refine well for example like I'm not on on social media in the way that I used to be and I think that what social media convinces people to do is uh, reaffirm who you are every day. And I think that because I'm not doing that anymore, I've been able to really, really just concentrate on my work and what I'm saying. And my work has become a bit more refined and a bit more astute. And um, I think that, yeah, I just have the ability now to to kind of say everything and then not have to go into an interview and caveat everything or provide context. Um, I think also, like, I've made so many jokes. I've had so many hot takes over the time. You know what I mean? I think the context is already set. You know, people know that to expect me to say something <laughs> a bit silly or funny or I don't know. Well, we love that. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, speaking of jokes, of course, the new album is Being Funny in a Foreign Language, mm -hmm. released in October mm -hmm. 2022. Is the title related to travels around the world and what you've experienced in culture? Or is there something more ambiguous here, I wonder? Um, well, there's an ambiguity to it in the way that there is to anything that I do, because 100 people interpreting something is always going to be better than my analysis of what it is. But it's... It's yeah. I keep saying. I think that being funny in a foreign language for me is the mo is, is when I've seen it happen. Is the most impressed that I've been by humans. So when I see somebody be funny in a foreign language, it's like it's kind of it's the height of sophistication, really, because it's the height of empathy, and you're kind of straddling these two these two cultural boundaries, which are so specific. And so it's like two trees that go off in infinite directions and to have an understanding of both and kind of bring them together. If everyone could do that, that would like, like I say, save the world. Like that would be a better objective for everyone to have than, yeah, if everyone focused on that, then we'd be good. So can humor translate? I think that funny is funny. I think 
that I think that nuance is nuance. So you have to find the nuance to translate the funny. Do you know what I mean? But I think that, listen, like falling over is funny, right? If I fell over Unless now, you do it yourself. Exactly. But like watching someone fall over is funny. Do you know what I mean? So there is funny there. And I think that, well, Eddie Izzard is trying to prove that, right? By literally going and doing the same stand-up routine, but in different languages yeah, all around the world, yeah. which is remarkable. Mm. Um yeah, I think funny is funny. And I think that there's there's obviously, that you know, there's culturally specific stuff, but at the heart of it, funny is funny because true is true, you know? How's your Japanese? Very, very bad. <laughs> no, we're not non-existent. But I've always, like, I've, I've never really, I've started to think, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to keep doing this my whole life, why don't I try and kind of investigate that? Not just Japanese, but like lots of languages. I do think about that a lot because I spend so much time away. And as an English person, you're so lucky because like, I mean, half of everything's written in English in here, even in Japan. Do you know what I mean? Like we, well, our language is so dominant that like, you know, I don't have that many incentives to learn. I need to create them for myself. Yeah. Is there one thing you've been here a few times? Is there one thing about Japan that you love, which maybe the rest of the world doesn't know about? Something you'd love to share with the world? Oh, let me think about that. I think that like it's I think that people think that Japan's maybe particularly like conservative like in its behavior and there is elements of that there's like cultural like politeness but there's like real like all of the like really subversive punk cool art fetishy weird stuff that I kind of collect at home all comes from Japan <laughs> You know, this is a place that's, like, very, very conservative, but also has, like, shibari. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, right. it's very, very, like, I like Japan's... Uh, I'm very interested in Japan's relationship with sex. Sex culture. I find, like, sex culture very interesting anyway. You know, the aesthetic of it and stuff like that. And um, there's this very kind of uh, paradoxical relationship with sex in Japan. And I find that fascinating. And I love how it's reflected in, like the fashion and the kind of countercultural literature and stuff like that. So it's a very, you can feel there's like a north, there's a northeast. It, it's not, I'm not saying like necessarily just like a CD. Mm. I'm saying there's like a, there's like, I'm always attracted to like, you know, punk and the kind of the, the darker side of, mm. of society and culture. And Japan's like, it's really hidden, but it's there, mm. you know, and it's kind of cool. And I think there's a real sensuality here too, and a lot of it's related to, to just the lifestyle, to traditional culture. You think of onsen, just mm. you know, getting your gear off and getting into hot water, mm. but it's a very gentle and beautiful thing mm -hmm. to do. It's not sexual, but no. there is a sensuality yeah, to it. Yeah, there is a sensuality to it. Mm. There's a real sensuality to it, and there's also a kind of like a, a pristineness to everything. Do you know? Well, there's a thing that I like about Japan as well is that there's a lot of ceremony I don't mean like traditional ceremonies. I mean like just ceremonious actions. Like, well, you know, the obvious one would be wabi sabi. Do you know what I mean? Like something like that, the kind of the celebration of those ideas. There's a lot of celebration of doing and people taking care over things or the way that you make food or the way that you make a tea or the way that it's quite a mindful culture as well. And I really like that. Like it's quite present. So I like working here. Because working here is, it works. <laughs> like rehearsing here is amazing. I hear you've been doing that this week. Well, yeah, because like you guys have just got stuff like power sorted. I know that's so boring. <laughs> 
But like, do you know what it's like? Like taking different musical equipment around the world and then just like plugging it in and expecting it not to like buzz. And you do it in Japan, there's no buzz. And that just makes your life just so much easier. It saves like two days of rehearsal. A couple of very quick ones. We're going to leave Japan. It's a bit like Desert Island Discs. You've got a passport, credit card, your mobile device. What's one thing you must have in your life that you have to travel with or just have in your life? Um, Well, it's an acoustic guitar is what I tend to have with me most of the time. Um, And cigarettes, which sucks. (laughs) <laughs> Which sucks, but they're gonna they're gonna go. They gotta go. They gotta go. <laughs> You're a singer. I know, but that's never. Look at Tom Waits. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, not, he got lucky. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And finally, if you go on this journey on a, a long flight or a long train journey or a long car ride, you can have a travel companion. Who would you love to sit down next to, from history or alive today, and have a great conversation with? Christopher Hitchens. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, Christopher Hitchens all day. He's my um. Christopher Hitchens or Andy Kaufman. But I don't know if you'd be able to get Andy Kaufman to be serious because I'd want to ask him serious questions, but he wouldn't give you serious answers. But those are my two, those are probably my two dinner companions. Or or Christ and be like, what was all that about? (laughs) What would you like to ask Christopher Hitchens? I'd want to ask him about now. I'd want to see what his take on now is on gender identity, on the conversation around everything, like all of these things that I used to, there were certain things that I didn't look to him on because we were from a different generation. And I think that we saw things differently, but he's the one person that I'd love to just like, you know, ask about just to, just to check in with. Yeah. It's my favorite writer. Yeah. Well, I've had a wonderful conversation today. Matthew Healy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you for joining us today. For more interviews and information, please go to guyperryman.com.